Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, January 29th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg hasn't had a fatal landslide like Wrangell, Sitka, and Haines, but there have been some close calls. The steep slopes and heavy rain of southeast Alaska make it prone to landslides. Sitka is the only community in the area with a landslide warning system. Developers of that system visited Petersburg last week. They led a community work session to explore the possibility of creating a warning system specific to Petersburg. KFSK has the story. A couple dozen people fill a conference room at Petersburg's public library. They're discussing ways to get more detailed information about rainfall. One weather station identified. I know there's other nerds in this community that have weather stations. The work session is led by developers of a landslide warning system in Sitka. After a slide killed three people in 2015, many groups came together to develop a warning system for the town. Jackie Foss is a U.S. Forest Service program manager and was involved in Sitka's landslide response. She says that because Petersburg hasn't had a fatal landslide, residents are in a different position than some other communities. They have the opportunity to figure out what they want before they've experienced tragedy. And so that's a very different place, and it's it's pretty remarkable place to start from. But a lack of fatal landslides isn't the same as a lack of risk. Ed Wood lives about six miles out Petersburg's Mitkoff Highway in an area prone to slides. He says by his count, there have been 11 landslides along the highway in the last four decades. Some night it's going to let loose up there and somebody along that stretch of road is going to wake up dead. Wood says he hopes the work session will result in a warning system that increases people's understanding of landslide risk and helps them have enough information to make their own decisions. You can listen to the weather forecast, you can look out the window, but it still doesn't, doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. Giving people the information to make their own decisions is central to Sitka's landslide response. The town's warning system is designed to be user-driven. An app reports risk levels, and community members decide what they're comfortable with. Lisa Bush is director of the Sitka Sound Science Center, the lead organization in the development of the warning system. She says each warning system needs to be place-specific. you got to involve the community in developing these kind of warning systems and um, I mean it's got to it's got to reflect community values and community member sense of risk. That's because each place has different logistical capabilities. Strong institutions in one place might create opportunities that aren't available somewhere else and the culture of each community will affect what people want to prioritize. Bush says community conversations are key to developing a place-specific warning system. She says the first step is to consider whether there is community will. She says that was apparent in Petersburg. I was really heartened by all of the people in Petersburg that are interested in the topic and all the different angles that they come from. The second is to look at the data that's already available. It turns out there is a lot of information that's useful to Petersburg. The U.S. Forest Service has an inventory of past landslides. That information can be combined with historical rainfall data to build a model that shows how much rain results in landslides in each specific area. The state mapped landslide risk areas on Mitkoff Island about 15 years ago. That map shows high-risk areas between about 3 Mile and 7 Mile on Mitkoff Highway. The Forest Service has data of Mitkoff Island and the surrounding area from a remote sensing method called LIDAR. That data creates a detailed model of the surface of the land, which can be used to predict landslides as well. 
More detailed data, like rainfall measurements from rain gauges placed around the island, could increase the prediction accuracy. Sunny Rice is with the Petersburg Marine Mammal Center and helped put together the landslide work session. Rice says next steps include gathering all the current data and outreach to potential partner organizations like the National Weather Service, Department of Transportation, and the U.S. Forest Service. She says it's also important to make sure that people who live along Mitkoff Highway understand their vulnerability. And she says while a lot can be learned from Sitka's warning system... I don't think we want to think about just doing exactly what they did because we're a different place. Figuring out what's right for Petersburg will take time and lots of community conversations. But Rice says that with the strong showing of people at the event and all the data already available, she's feeling optimistic. I think we can do it. Um... I think it's going to take some time. I think we heard that for sure. And um, I think we're going to need a lot of people coming together to help make it happen. But um, I think it will. The Sitka Sound Science Center is currently working with six tribal villages in southeast Alaska to develop landslide warning systems for each of those communities. And Wrangell has started looking at ways to create some sort of landslide warning platform following its fatal landslide in November. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. Lisa Bush and Jackie Foss also hosted a science series talk about the science of landslides while they were in Petersburg. A video of the talk is available from the Petersburg Marine Mammal Center upon request at 907-772-3381. Lawmakers are considering a measure that would tighten residency requirements for Alaska hunting and fishing licenses. Currently, to obtain a resident license, applicant has to live in Alaska for at least 12 consecutive months. They then remain a resident as long as they maintain a home in the state, intend to return, and don't claim residency elsewhere. Sitka Independent Representative Rebecca Himshoot pitched the proposal to the House Resources Committee last Wednesday. So they could come for as short as a few weeks. Um, They could keep a boat on a trailer somewhere in the state use that boat to live on for a few weeks and hunt and fish as much as they would like as residents. The bill would restrict residents' licenses to people who are eligible for a permanent fund dividend. To qualify, you have to spend at least six months in the state every year, subject to exemptions for military service and college students, for example. Himshoot says the idea for the bill came from constituents on Prince of Wales Island. Several local fish and game advisory committees and local governments in southeast Alaska submitted letters of support. Representative Kevin McCabe, a Republican from Big Lake, said he was concerned the bill could exclude some Alaskans who leave the state for more than six months a year. I intend to remain an Alaska resident till I die. However, I also intend to get a motorhome maybe after I hopefully retire, drive around the lower 48 and see some things for the winter time so I don't have to shovel piles of snow. Um, And I would likely be out of state for more than 180 days. This would seem to exclude me. Himshoot replied that the bill is meant to protect fishing wildlife for people who rely on them. The resources needed by the people who are living here year-round have a very high value and the cost of living here is very high. So if somebody is choosing to live and work out of state, Um, That's a choice they're making. During public testimony on Friday, the vast majority of commenters, including a large number of Prince of Wales Island residents, asked lawmakers to pass the bill. The bill remains pending in the House Resources Committee. 
A similar bill has yet to receive a hearing in the Alaska Senate. After seven years of advocacy, the Sitka Homeless Coalition successfully launched a warming shelter this month that will keep its doors open on the coldest nights of the winter. Meredith Reddick stopped by the shelter to learn how it fits into the coalition's longer-term vision for addressing homelessness in Sitka. On a chilly Thursday night, laughter is reverberating off the walls in the basement of Sitka's United Methodist Church. One man is eating stovetop stuffing out of a paper cup. Four or five people are drinking steaming hot cocoa around a table. Outside, it is 15 degrees Fahrenheit, but in here, everyone is warm. So this room, uh, it remains uh, open and uh, with a light on overnight. Um, there are books, um, some opportunities to uh, make art or color in there, uh, as well as a bunch of snacks um, and hot chocolate, which is uh, pretty popular as soon as we come in here. We turn on the hot water maker and a lot of folks. Andrew Hinton is the executive director of the Sitka Homeless Coalition. He's here tonight chatting with clients and keeping the hot cocoa flowing. It's only the third night the shelter is open, but reviews are already coming in, and they're good. Jacob, who wanted to go by his first name only, has been here every night since the shelter opened on Tuesday. I was very impressed when I first got here. I thought I'd be laying just on a carpet with a pillow. And they've been very gracious with the, uh, I was surprised by the cots. It's like, it's nice to sleep on a cot. The Sitka Homeless Coalition has been trying to establish a shelter since its inception in 2017. But finding a space that could accommodate a shelter and that didn't trigger pushback from neighbors has proved challenging. Gail Young, the coalition's founder, described part of that difficulty in a 2021 interview with KCAW. No one would allow us the use of their building. They wouldn't rent to us. They wouldn't rent to us for just two weeks trial. Every answer was no. The Methodist Church is in a residential area and less than a quarter mile from an elementary school. But Hinton says neighbors were supportive of the location, in part because the shelter is only open outside of school hours. Things have gone very well so far. Um, We went and talked to the 10 or 12 uh, closest neighbors or so, and there was uh, a lot of support for the project and uh, and understand for its need. The shelter is open on nights when the temperature is expected to dip below 28 degrees, which this week is five out of seven nights. In the first week, the shelter provided showers, cots, and snacks to between six and eight people each night, a little under half of the estimated homeless population in Sitka. Programs Director Denise Schaefer says people are here tonight for a variety of reasons. Those people who have just been evicted or people who are leaving the fishing season and they didn't make enough money and so they're having to stay on boats that maybe their captain for the season is letting them stay or, you know, something like that. That's the case for a deckhand named Joshua who says low fish prices made it hard for him to pay rent or buy a plane ticket out of Sitka this fall. He says if he weren't here, he'd be in a tent in the woods. I'd be out in the woods right now. Yeah. Not a good night to be out in the woods. My would be, though. I'd rough her out. Schaefer says the majority of their clients are Alaska Native or white men between the ages of 30 and 60, a population not served by Sitka's Safe Shelter, which focuses primarily on women and children who have survived domestic violence. 
The warming shelter is low barrier, and while alcohol and drugs aren't allowed inside, Schaefer says they won't turn away someone who is visibly intoxicated. We seek to provide immediate need first, and so once you have shelter, once you have like food in your belly, once you're thinking, then you don't have to start thinking about these survival mode things, and you can start thinking about, okay, how am I going to stop drinking, or how am I going to get the help that I need? The coalition is juggling other programs to address immediate need, a showers and laundry program through the Sitka Laundry Center and a hot dinner program through AC Lakeside Grocery Store that launched this fall. But their vision is ultimately to provide permanent housing through projects like the Hidkasani or Little Houses community under construction at the end of Jarvis Street. Right now, it's a gravel lot, but Hinton says by the end of 2024, a dozen permanent housing units will sit there. Uh, It's really important to us um, that individuals have the stability of a home, a place to return to, uh, a door that locks, a place to put their belongings um, in order to uh, begin to improve their lives in other facets. In the meantime, the coalition will keep prioritizing the basics, like a warm place to sleep or a mug of hot cocoa. For clients like Jacob, that feels like the right approach. It's all about staying warm and being amongst good people, and I appreciate that. In Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. The under-60-foot sector for the Federal Bering Sea and Aleutian Islands Pacific Cod, Hook and Line, and Pop Fishery closed last Thursday at noon. The small boat fleet of nearly 20 vessels reached its quota of just over 8 million pounds in about three weeks. The state water fishery for pot gear boats of 58 feet or less in the Dutch Harbor subdistrict will open February 1st at noon. Those harvesters will have a limit of 60 pots per vessel and a harvest level of a little more than 44 million pounds. That's the largest harvest level of the fishery has ever seen. Last year's was the second biggest at just over 38 million pounds. State fisheries managers say they expect about 20 to 25 boats to register for the fishery. The Dutch Harbor Subdistrict is the largest state-managed Pacific cod fishery in Alaska. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.